the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I will be your host for today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Uh, for those of you who don't know me or my company, I am the co-founder of Financing Solutions, and Financing Solutions is the leading provider in the United States of lines of credit for small nonprofits. We've been doing this for over 12 years. Um, it's a very, very hot product, to be honest with you. Uh, so many nonprofits have been wanting a line of credit. And, you know, and that's why we're the, the leading companies in the United States. It's just really hard for a nonprofit to get a line of credit. And they're really important because so many of the nonprofits that are out there have reimbursable grants and, uh, you know, or reimbursable funding. And there's just a variety of different reasons. And sometimes the cash flow, it's very normal for your cash flow to go ups and down. And, uh, you know, you want to keep those programs going. So we completely get it. And of course, I mean, number one reason is you got to make the other thing is that you got to make payroll. And uh, that's you can't miss that legally or morally. And uh, and so that's what the 75 percent of the time, that's what the line of credit is used for. So if you're interested in learning more about it, go to nonprofitmbapodcast.com and you can learn more. You can get a free quote or see if you're approved and so on and so forth. Today, we have a sponsor, Arrays. Arrays Fast Fund Online is accounting software that's specifically uh, made for nonprofits, small to medium-sized nonprofits. I've said it before, I'm a big believer in getting software that's made for your industry and not just making something a square hole fit in a round peg like QuickBooks. It's not really made for nonprofits. And plus, the people at Arrays, they deal with nonprofits every single day. They have questions that, that, that they get questions that are answer, asked all the time that are nonprofit related that they can answer for you. Please visit Arrays.com, A R A I Z E.com, or call Joe at 866 840 7449. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with a return guest. Lori Jacobwith from Ignite Fundraising. Uh, Lori Jacobwith is uh, is the founder of Ignite Fundraising, the sweet Ignited. Spot. I'm just going to let you know it's Ignited. What did I say? Ignite. Oh, okay. Thank you. Ignited. You want to ignite and ignited yep. is what you do in the past. Right. You right. got it. Uh, the sweet spot of her work is to help organizations put a face on their impact by sharing inspiring ethical mission moment stories. Lori, uh, uh, Lori's focus is to help nonprofit staff and board members implement fundraising solutions that put ease and joy into raising money. To date, she's helped nonprofit organizations raise more than $500 million. Lori, welcome again to the Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And I especially love that you talk about money all the time. And we're going to talk about why talking about money is a good thing. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about the idea of our topic, which is why talking about money is scary for fundraising or fundraisers, um, because I hear it all the time, right? And, you know, and also this is the first year um, that I actually went out and raised a lot of money for two nonprofits that I belong really? to. And so I 
really got a taste for what it was like to ask people for money and um, and what are what of some of our listeners go through in asking. Um, like I'll just everybody let everybody know I'm I'm not somebody who's usually afraid of anything. I'm usually you know I just go for it, and that's exactly what I did. You know I just kind of went went for it. Um, I learned a lot doing it. And as most people know, you really can't learn something until you kind of do it. And then you can kind of, my attitude is you do it. Uh, maybe you learn a little bit before you do it, but then you do it and then you tweak it as you go along. But, you know, don't get the deer in the headlights and don't do it because <laughs> you're scared. You got to go do it. And then you learn as you go along. Now, hopefully with Lori today, she gives us a little bit more insight as to how to do it. But Lori, to start off with, uh, I guess you hear on a constant basis why it's scary for people to ask for money. Well, it is scary for people to talk about money, first of all. Talking about money has roots in how we were raised, in how much we have in our wallet, and we've been taught by society to give money a whole bunch of power. And what I hope to do, what I attempt to do, what people tell me happens when we spend a little time together and I ask them some questions, is we find the area at your organization that you can sit in with a lot of knowledge, with a lot of confidence, knowing that you do that well. So a CEO of a corporation might have a lot of employees, a good payroll system, a big cash flow. And so it might feel scary to go talk to them to get a sponsorship or to get him or her to make an individual contribution to your organization. When the person going to talk to them or sending the email or making the phone call is really grounded in, what do we bring to the table that's as important? So the playing field feels a little bit bigger. As you said, Stephen, cash flow for any business is a big deal, right? Especially in the nonprofit sector with client fees or whatever's happened over the past two and a half years with the pandemic. Cash is volatile. So how can you release some of that fear about making payroll uh, and go talk to someone and ask them to open their wallet. If you're uncertain about your own financial health and well-being, so I ask people to think about what what stories were told in your house. In my house, my dad said a billion times if he said once, money doesn't grow on trees. So I got a babysitting job when I was twelve, and I started saving my literally 50 cents an hour, to buy things that I wanted. Fast forward many years, no one taught me how to manage a checkbook. No one taught me that having a little bit of money wasn't something to be ashamed of. We didn't have a lot in our house. So add that whole complexity of shame, scarcity, and now you're going to ask someone, for that very thing that you might not have a lot of, it's fraught with emotion. So 
taking a step back, I want I want to ask you, Stephen, when you went and talked to your friends or colleagues and you said, hey, sponsor me or give or whatever you said, how did you feel? Um, one, I knew I'd be good at it. <laughs> but that's, I mean, it's unique. One, I knew I'd be good at it. Um, two, I wasn't sure if I was asking for enough. Enough, right? Number yeah. three is after they made donations, I was a little angry because I thought that they didn't give enough. Um, it was a kind of a near and dear thing. So it's, it was very, I don't know if it's always this way, but for me, it was very, very personal. Um, because, um, I don't remember if we brought this up last time, Lori, but so, uh, my wife passed away recently and, and I, I forget that if we talked about that, um, we did. yeah, yeah. So I went, so both of these organizations, one was for her. Uh, it was a, uh, uh, she was born on Halloween. So it was an organization that gave Halloween costumes away to kids who can't afford them. Uh, think 90% of foster kids. And then the second one was, um, an organization, um, that, um, really helped my, it was a grief counseling that an organization that helped my son and I, um, deal with things. So one, that last one was more for me. Uh, good grief it's called and the wean dream was more for my wife and the wean dream and I'm not gonna get too much details but the wean dream one I went to everybody and we knew a yeah. lot of people I raised ten thousand dollars and then um and then the and then the other one uh, uh good grief uh I only went to people who had a lot of money because I asked for quite a bit of money and then one of the people who gave money said, oh, you, you didn't really ask me for that much. <laughs> I was a little bit surprised. I'm like, oh, I missed an opportunity. So anyway, uh, after I kind of learned a little bit more and so on and so forth. So you were knowing that you were good at it. What made you good at it? Knowing that I thought I would be good at it. I always yeah. thought in the back, uh, uh, you know, I had been on a nonprofit before, but I never had to raise money. But I always thought uh, because I'm, I, I'm uh, an, an extrovert. Um, I am. Uh, I, I also. Uh, I was in sales for eight of my years of my first career. I was very good at it. Uh, to me, fundraising is nothing more than giving people presenting something in a way that either. Uh, there's two ways. One of them is I knew that I had personal and my wife had personal, very strong personal relationships with these people. Uh, number two, I wasn't asking them for a lot of money. I thought number three was I'm not afraid to go do it. So there's something that you didn't say that is the missing thing for people in this uncomfortableness to talk about money. And that is, you weren't taking it personally when they said no. You might have taken it personally when they could have done more, which I get, because this is a passion. These two organizations are passions for you and your family. That not taking it personally is the work of a good fundraiser. It's like, you know, batting practice or shooting goals uh, in, in hockey what is Gretzky's statement? You know, 
I, I, I miss any, uh, all, all the goals I didn't take, yeah. what, whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah. So, someone will correct us on the correct um, quote. The thing about taking it personally is it's our job. If we're fundraisers, CEO of an organization, development director, development, major gift officer to learn about the other person's passion. Yeah to find out if this is a good fit. It is always uncomfortable to ask someone for money when we haven't done our homework. Yeah. And when we are taking it personally that the no is about us in any way, shape or form. It is never about us. It's almost always about you asked the wrong person or the wrong amount, or it's not the right time or, 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 or. When we are advocating for the organization we're passionate about, our job then is to inspire after we've listened. Uh, I'm, I'm working these days with CEOs and development directors on their origin story so that there can be an instant rapport and a trust built right away. I tell folks when I was a kid, I told my parents I wanted to help everyone. I was a babysitter. We worked in uh, leafleting for politicians. We were volunteering at church. And I thought the better way to help everyone would be to be governor of Minnesota. And if I couldn't get that job when I grew up, I thought maybe I could be a flight attendant so someone would pay me to travel. That origin story is a bit of a, a sweet story but it builds trust when I share it, when I'm speaking in front of an audience of a thousand people and they know a little bit more about what makes me tick. And I go on to say, I got to work for the governor of Minnesota and a few other politicians. Um, I've traveled the world. Who, who was the governor literally. at the time? Who was the governor at the time? Uh, Rudy Perpich oh. was many, many years ago, tall man from the iron range who was hands would they were four times the size of mine, mm. but he taught me the importance of listening, the importance of asking for what the person has in abundance and the importance of not taking things personally because people had a lot of difficult things to say about him as they do any politician. This was, you know, 150 years ago. I had different color hair back then. Taking things personally when we're asking for money is the way to get burnout, and the way to hate your job. Knowing that, as you said, we're offering an opportunity for someone to invest, to make a bigger impact, to do something that they can't do alone, can take some of that sting away. So if working through your own personal, okay, what do I have in my checkbook today? What, what's my bank balance? Do I add? Do I say that I'm a, a better person because I have less or more in my bank account? No, usually not. Then why would I think this person is better, scary, has any power over me? Why don't I do my best job to come to the table with great questions, first of all, so I can learn more about them? And second, some stories that are powerful that open the, the curtain a bit about what we do one person at a time. 
and give that some dollar value. So I, I just had an organization ask me for money that I have given to in the past, been a sponsor of their event in a small way, and they they missed some of the lessons. They have a brand new development person on staff. Now, I've known the CEO of this organization for 15 years. Their young development professional sent an email asking me for $1,000 without a phone call, asking me how I am, knowing what my financial status is right now. And it was someone I could say no to. So again, asking for money, you want to be the person they can't say no to. So I sent back a lovely email saying no, and I gave them the reasons why. Now, I'm a coach and trainer teaching people to ask for money, you're going to get the no without the reasons why. If you're going out inviting a contribution from a former sponsor without checking in. The only time you talk to them might be to invite the contribution. Expect a no then. So for you, a little different scenario. When you are going out, inviting your friends, your colleagues, your family, you have a personal relationship with them, so you already know something about them. Also, the loss of your wife was a significant loss in your community. So there was a common denominator already. Yeah, it was easy. Oh, it was, it, it's, a, it's quite a bit different, I think. Um, well, it's different because you did it in a way, Stephen, that honored your wife Right. Honored your relationship with your community. You gave them a way to join you in the grieving process. Yeah, I also gave it, I also like, listen, there's certain, like, I'll give you one example. I, and I'll, I'll add a couple things here. But one of the things I did with the Ween Dream thing, which was the costumes of the kids, is uh, I'm going to try to put this uh, nicely. Listen, people would have given anyway, but the way I presented it too is like I went back back and made sure that I wanted to handle people's objections before they came back. And one of the objections was, well, what kids can't afford a costume nowadays, right? And so that's why I now say, and I this is statistically true, 90% of these costumes are going to foster kids. Right. They're not going to somebody because I know that some of the people that I've, you know, was approaching, they're very conservative. Let's use that word. And and so they don't want to give any way for, for anything away. And I was like, 90% of these kids are foster kids. Okay. I think we can all understand that foster kids are not trying to game the system. Right. So I'm right. trying to get ahead of the game, but let me go to another level. And that is uh, also, I told stories, right? Like, and so with good, that you know how to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With good grief. The, I, I told them, a, uh, I wrote a big thing about, you know, uh, this is what it did for my son and I, you know, this is the, this is, and, and then I brought a lot of people to their big gala as well. And the boy, that you're talking about fundraising. Holy, this is my first experience going to a big gala and those professional fundraisers, you know, the auctions and the, they are amazing. 
<laughs> the way that they ask people for money and they get, you know, even me, I went from donating, I went from going to donate $5,000 to donating 9500 because it was because they were so good at what they did, you know? Well, that's the, the magic, if you will, of blending story. Yeah. With the money conversation. Yeah. Let's, let's go back to the topic here of why is it uncomfortable and how do you get past it? It's an, an, a conscious decision to think about your own personal money story as a fundraiser before you talk to someone else about money. But then part of what I like to do is help organizations define their money story. So let's say you've done your homework, you've worked with your team, your CEO, your development director, your board chair, and you all know that there are four legs on a solid table. Your mission is the top of the table. Your programs, one of the legs, your location, anymore that's really relevant with virtual or not, your human capital, and then your financial capital. Those are your four legs. So you know that money is a tool that you have to have in order for this table to be stable. And you've done your internal work. You're not coming from a scarcity mindset. You've got your list of five top prospects. These are people who have aligned mission. Uh, They've given before. And you've got the special opportunity for them. Now what's important to talk about is what does it take to, and notice my language here, to fully fund the mission of this organization. So I work with uh, an organization that helps people with mental illness. Uh, They often are helping them with housing first, knowing that if they've got a mental health issue, getting a stable home environment is the most important thing. Now, their annual budget is $3.3 million, but $437,000 comes from philanthropy. That's all. I mean, to you and I, who think about and talk about money all the time, $437,000 seems really minuscule. Yep. To them, it's huge because they've got fees, insurance, other forms of revenue, government contracts. So asking for money is pretty outside their comfort zone. They just have a brand new development director who they've never had someone tending this conversation before. So I said, well, let's do some messy math. What does it take to support one person? And it's about, uh, we figured out $1,300 over the course of a week. might be expensive sounding. They have a pretty small footprint, uh, but the organization stays with a person and a family, especially in the housing, until the oldest child has aged out at age 25. So if you're helping a a mom, we'll call her Crystal, who's been in a shelter or hopping from couch to couch, and she's got three boys for $1,000 a week, making sure she's got food. She's got a backyard now. She's going to plant a garden and have vegetables. She didn't have vegetables at that shelter. And her son gets to take trombone lessons. 
and bring the trombone home and practice in the house with her earplugs in, something she didn't get to have before. Now the story is about a person and some money. And it's not so scary to say, Stephen, would you consider making an investment in Crystal and her boys? $1,000 takes care of one week this year. We'd, we'd really welcome your participation, your investment in her and us. That feels different than saying nothing about Crystal and just saying, you know, I'm really passionate about this organization. Would you please give us $1,000? Which is kind of what the sponsorship invitation was. It wasn't, it, there, it didn't touch me. It didn't inspire me. And it also didn't check in with me to find out if I'm still giving to organizations like that or if my giving habits have changed. So a couple of things I did with language. What does it take to fully fund your mission? What it takes to fill in the blank for about a week versus it costs. When you say it costs, it feels like we're buying something. It also might feel like we're rescuing someone. And we're not about rescuing in our storytelling and in our financial investments. We want to make an impact more so than ever before. The word choices matter. And when we say things like, I hope, I, I, I know this sounds like a lot. I, I really, I hope you'll consider you've just discounted anything you're going to say after that. So the invitation to say, Stephen, I want to invite you to invest $1,000 in our organization, but I want to put a face on that for you before you even think about saying yes. Let me tell you about Crystal and her kids, her boys. So shifting the conversation to the impact and the problem you're helping solve versus how you feel about whether this person's going to say yes or not and how much money you have in your wallet can make a significant difference in whether or not this is a, a peer-to-peer conversation or a, with a can out begging someone for money, hoping that they'll say yes. And hope is never a good fundraising strategy. Yeah, I think, let, let me um, give you my two cents. If I was not raising money for something that was, I mean, this personal to me. I mean, I think that anybody who's raising money, usually it's very personal. I I, I kind of would say it I probably so. is, I, you know. But they shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> yeah, why else would you be doing it? But maybe it's not like mine, which is, you know, really, well, let's say this. But so the first thing I would say is, you know, everybody's not, not everybody out there has ever been in a sales profession, right? And a lot of people, think of sales, which I think fundraising kind of is, but they think of sales as when you go to buy a car or you go to a retail salesperson and that's the type of salesperson you have experience with. And it's got a bad, really bad name to it. Right. But I was in professional sales. Okay. Professional sales is not telling. Professional tales is asking. Asking to see if somebody could really use your product or service. Right. And if they can't use your product or service, you walk away. Or if they can't use the type of product you're selling, you walk away. Yes. So I think in fundraising, the very first thing you need to do is ask questions. 
Of course. Right? Why? Listen. Listen to the Listening, asking, to the asking open-ended questions. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I'm a good host on a podcast, because I ask open-ended questions and I listen, right? And so you need to ask and find out about someone's life, why, it's the, why this nonprofit might be important to them. Because and if it's not, walk away. Walk away. And you can sit there and you say, you know what? I just don't think we're the right thing. I, I love what you're saying, but maybe this organization's better for you, not us. Okay. And you could still give them your spiel. Cause, and the reason why I'm saying that is because this is what we do. Okay. They might still give you the money anyway. You, it's, you know, you, you got their time. So let's kind of take advantage of it. Right. Um, so, but once you, you know, once you get into a conversation, you're not, you know, so then I think you can kind of get into the storytelling of the organization. And before you ever get any anywhere close to the table, though, I would just encourage your listeners to get their heads straight. This is not about me. Yes. This is this is why I want people to have a story in mind. So it is personal. This is about Crystal. This is about your wife. This is about my grandson. The reason you're going to talk to someone or you're picking up the phone has to be personal or you raise less because you leave money on the table and you're not going to connect with the person in the way you want to. Yeah. So yes, then you're asking questions, open-ended questions, listening carefully. And this is what an extraordinary fundraiser does versus a good fundraiser listening carefully to the the story they're telling you about what they're passionate about, where they've vacationed, uh, how many kids they have, how many grandkids, so that you're inviting more of the feeling good opportunity. I don't know if you know who Seth Godin is. Oh yeah, He's a sure, famous marketing guru. Mm-hmm. He he talks about the fact that we are in the market of uh, sales as nonprofits, but we sell feeling good. We want people to feel great about giving. We want people to feel great that you asked for that amount, even if it was too much, but you really put thought into it. And we want people to feel great about how they were thanked. I have been thanked so well that I wanted to give again immediately. So the the talking about money part of all of this I, I hope your listeners understand it can be secondary, but have some good numbers to frame your conversation. A good ask 50% of the time is spent listening. And the, the pitch itself is about 10% of the whole conversation. It's the tiniest part. And I, and I go so far as to say, don't talk to someone about a large gift unless you know they're ready to say yes. You've done all the prep work ahead of time and they can't say no to whomever it is. It might not be you going to make that ask. Yeah, usually, if, I think usually the person <clears throat> will ask, if you don't ask, they'll, they'll ask you. They'll say, okay, so what point do I give you the money, right? So I think if you've, if you've done the basis, and let, let, I like what you said about the 90% rule, and that is, you should be listening 90% of the time and talking 10% of the time. 
yeah. not talking 10, 90% of the time <laughs> and talk and listening 10% of the time, you know, it should, the, I think the, the way that, uh, you know, and I just want to move on to, but something else I was thinking of, do you know why professional athletes don't get nervous? I mean, they do, they get anxiety, but they, you know, they, they're playing. And they've rehearsed it. They've practiced they've over just and practiced. over and over. They've practiced. They've been in the situations over and over and over again. So I know our listeners are here. I know what it was like for me. Now I'm a little bit more trained as a salesperson and stuff like that, but I've been doing this a long time, but, um, so it wasn't so, uh, you know, it wasn't such a big deal, but, but I'm sure everybody is like, oh my God, I'm so nervous about going to ask somebody and I think practice it ahead of time. You practice it ahead of time and yeah. you, you listen to the podcast, you know, you, you, you read some of the stuff on, uh, on Lori's website, I'm sure, you know, you, you get introductions you, because you know, it, it only really requires a couple of pre clan plea. That's right. Um, pre-planned questions. Yes. Yeah, questions. Yeah. So what brought us, what brought you to us today? Right. Why, what, you know, what is it about our organization that resonates with you? How, how what do you find? And listen, don't be waiting to, to say your next thing. Yeah. Just listen. And then, and then this is the, the, I'll tell you, this is the other thing that's most, listen, let's, uh, let's say this, let's agree that the large majority of the people that you're going to be asking money from are a little older. They're maybe over 40. Let's just say, okay. A little over 30. Okay. When you get a little bit older, I, let's face it, we all like to be asked about our lives. Yes. And so I want to talk about my wife. I want to talk about my kids. I want to talk about how it's impacted me. I want somebody to ask. All right. This is just this one instance, but it's all different things. It's, you know, you know. Tell, tell, tell me a little bit about what you do for a living. Uh, tell me of what, you know, how you were brought up, you know, where you, where did you grow up? All that, all the stuff that's not nonprofit related. And you want to be on a, uh, a mission to learn more, something new about this person. Yep. I do practice asks with clients often. 99.9% of the time, my coaching feedback is, you talked too much. I didn't get a chance. I was the donor. I didn't get a chance to even hardly answer your questions. And I didn't feel like you were listening. And that is with seasoned professionals and newbies and everybody in between. The nerves take over and you just want to get to the ask. I actually like to put it right in the front and say, Stephen, at some point at lunch today, I want to talk about a gift. But before we even go there, we've got a lot of catching up to do. How are you? What's, what's going on with you and your family? Yeah. So now you can put the nervousness away and hopefully you set the appointment with that same message so the person is ready to say yes yeah. when you do. I like that pre-commitment like that too. I mean, that's... Um, you know, I, I think the other thing is, I'll, I'll just say for myself, I I have a unique, like most people, it's not unique to me, but I have the unique ability to remember details about people. So I'll remember everything you tell me, and I'll remember it years and years and years from now. 
right? Oh yeah, you have two kids and you grew up here and, and the, this is what you do. You know, I just, I, but, but the other thing is like, no matter what position I've ever been in for 30 years, if I'm having a conversation with, let's say, um, a person, if I couldn't memorize, I still go back and I write all that stuff down. Right. You know, and so that if I, if I'm in a professional fundraising role, but yes, I can memorize that, but I still go back honestly. And I go down and I write it down so that if I'm going to see that person again, I remember all the details. Cause you know, there's a very famous guy named Dale Carnegie, right. And Dale yeah. Carnegie says, um, you know, the, the best, the, the best conversationalists are the ones who just listen. Listen. Right. I agree. And so, um, you know, I, so those are some things that I think is really helpful. And also listen, it sure as hell makes fundraising, um, funner, doesn't it? Well, the relationship that you build, I still am friends with, I, I call them friends, people who've given to organizations that I worked for 20 years ago because we built a meaningful relationship. To your point, though, about remembering in the notes, build institutional memory by putting those notes into your donor database yes. or your yeah, CRM. CRM. Yep. You have to capture that. Yeah, so you have then, to. Yeah. Because now that 10 years from now, that person's still giving, you're not there. You don't want that donor to have to tell their story again in so much detail. It's much more respectful and enjoyable for them to have someone sit down and say, you know, I read a lot about you and I want to know a few things that aren't in our database. So, or following up on, I know you lost your pet last year. How, what have you replaced? How, how are you doing? What, what, what's keeping you busy? Making sure that you're building institutional memory is a, an art and a science. I also think that it's, if, if you're an executive director right now listening to this and you want to create a core competency at your organization that makes your organization sustainable well past when you leave, okay, that you make it a requirement that yes. every person who's getting money from somebody has to update your CRM system. Number one, you got to get a CRM system, okay? Right. They're cheap. Okay. Number two is you got to encourage and it's got to be reviewed. You have to look at it. And so it's the number one thing that I, in my opinion, a nonprofit organization could do to make sure that they're successful going forward is to keep that CRM system updated and reviewed often. So don't take things personally. Talk about your money story. Know what it takes to serve one person a week, a day, a month, and then what's left to raise. I, I, I'd like to share this story with you about money story sharing, and I know our time is coming to a close here. A, a longtime friend and colleague, his name is Chuck, he retired a year ago, but he was brilliant at inviting financial contributions without barely even asking. So he would see someone, uh, we'll call this man Henry, uh, he saw him at the end of the year at a holiday gathering for their organization down in uh, Louisiana. And Henry said, you know, how are things going? And Chuck said, well, we're doing all right. This was 
just before the pandemic and things were a little bit difficult. And Henry said, I'd like to come talk to you and learn more about what's really going on. And they sat down later and learned that there's a $70,000 deficit in one of the programs that was near and dear to Henry. And Henry said, Chuck, let me see what I can do. Chuck hasn't asked for money yet. He's just updated him, talked about the the gap that they have to close. Henry had been giving $50,000 a year, had already made his gift that year. Stopped by Chuck's house later on with a six pack of beer and a check for Mm $50,000. And he said, we're going to give again, talk to my wife, and we're going to go find the rest from the community because I love this program so much. And let's figure out how we can make sure it's solid next year. Chuck's friendship with Henry and the ability that they had this ease in talking about the money story, where are we really at? Knowing full well that there's ups and downs in the nonprofit sector, Chuck would always start with, well, we're closing our gap of 2.5 million and we've got about this much left to go. And we've got some decisions, some tough decisions to make. Henry listened too. And he came back with that extra gift. I would say Chuck was the master of not asking, but sharing the, the gap of what there was left to do. And people who were passionate to your level of passion, Stephen, like you have about those two organizations, Chuck held them close and he kept them updated so that when it came time to figure out what was going to happen next and how would they close that gap and end the year in the black, he barely had to ask. Yeah, well, it's certainly nicer to go back to people who have donated before and asking them then to go get new donors, right? I mean, it's just a lot easier. Well, it's a lot less expensive. Yeah, it's and funner. it's uh, yeah. A, a lot more certain. Yeah. Well, it's a good story. Um, you know, unfortunately, that's all the time we had today. You know, I always have great conversations with Lori. She's really good at what she does, I can tell. And, um, you know, so uh, Lori, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, how, how, how would they go about doing that? They can find me uh, at my website, ignitedfundraising.com or on LinkedIn. That's a good place as well. I'm uh, active there and I just, I want to thank you for what you do for our sector in making sure the conversations are real and tangible and we give uh, we give voice to what's really happening and what the real fears and the real wins are. Well, thank you for that. You know, the Nonprofit MBA podcast has been, has more than exceeded my expectations. The It is really good. I mean, the, the guests that I have on are just tremendous and you know, we've done another 400 episodes and I tell executive directors on, on, on air, I say is if you want to be, you know, if you want to create a great organization, just listen to the podcast. It's just the guests are fantastic. And we, you know, we get a lot of listeners. It's, you know, it's one of the top 5% of podcasts listened to. So, you know, if you're interested, um, and you really like this podcast or any other ones, please give us a five-star review that helps us get the word out. It helps other people get to know about us. Um, I'm talking about the podcast, but if you're also interested in getting a line of credit, um, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. 
And, you know, uh, the ending uh, that I do on every show, and I will do it until I stop doing the Nonprofit MBA podcast, is I want to thank our listeners for doing all the heavy lifting of making the world a better place. Uh, we really need you to continue to do what you're doing. I know Lori and I are doing our own part in our own way, in our own nonprofits. Um, but you guys are out there every day. But I just want to remind you, you're not any good to your family, your friends, your cause, your nonprofit, your employees, if you don't think and take care of yourself first. Here, here. Uh, and because I know you're passionate about your cause, and that's probably the first thing that comes in your mind every single day. But no, you need to take good care of yourself. You need to exercise, eat right, take good care of yourself, take some time to reflect, those type of things. So just a reminder you come first and then you can help everybody else. Exactly. Have a great day, everybody.